Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio, where we talk about anything and everything, a song of ice and fire. So tonight we have with us a very special guest to talk about this topic. We have with us Charles, uh, also known as Weasel Kingdom, who is currently uh, doing the new Sunday Slaughter podcast. So uh, thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So, uh I know you guys just started, uh, just did your first episode. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I uh, had my final and a bunch of stuff going on. But can you kind of tell us a little more about um, about your show and what uh, what everyone can kind of expect? Yeah, so Chris was cool enough to invite me out to his podcast to co-host with him. We had a couple of guys on from uh, his local store, some guys y'all will recognize from the Battle Reports. And... So far, we just kind of had a, a couch talk session over, you know, what really keeps us excited for the game, how we got to Ice and Fire, what we think about it. Um, just kind of a general um, interest, point of interest for Ice and Fire and how we play and why we play. That's kind of the first one. Um, we touch on some current meta things and some changes, but we haven't gone too deep in the tank on those. Um, but mostly so far, we use that as a way to kind of um, let people get to know us a little bit and then... Uh, going from there, we're going to cover a wide array of just kind of community intrigue type topics from uh, a little bit of tactics here and there, maybe best starter faction, how to explore the meta, how to bridge the gap between competitive and casual play, um, just sort of um, the generalization of being a tabletop gamer in the ice and fire meta at the moment. Awesome. And uh, for those that haven't checked it out already, uh, you can find uh, Sunday Slaughter on a song of ice and fire guild.com uh as well as our content and a bunch of other great uh, content creators so definitely go check out that site and you can kind of find everything you need in uh in one place so thank you so much again for coming on uh, also we have with us justin um my co-host that uh we're going to be talking about the new revealed units and attachments that just kind of i believe they came out today um been kind of blending days together but uh so yeah uh tonight we're going to be going over neutrals baratheons targaryens and free folk uh we wish we could kind of fit them all in one episode but i think uh i I think that might not be doable so for those that are really looking for the other factions you can uh wait for that episode on sunday which i think should be a great episode as well but um, without further ado, we will be jumping into neutrals. What uh, of the revealed stuff uh, kind of excites you the most, Justin? Well, I feel like that's pretty obvious. Are we? So, are you asking like from all the new stuff we've been revealed so far, just for this big change that's happening? Because if so, I would say honestly, Zorse Riders, just because I've never really seen any value in them before, and now I see a lot. Yeah, I would say uh um as, you know, as a whole, but uh more so maybe anything that we haven't talked about yet. Um so between the uh last couple visions in the flames. Um hmm, I guess that's hard to say. I mean, I think as we can guess, I should probably choose something along the lines of a neutral unit. So, I what they just show today they just showed uh was it was it Roos? No, no, yeah. no, a few days ago, right? 
No, it was Roos. Or no, sorry, okay. you are correct. Um, today they didn't show, I believe, any neutrals. No, it was commanders that they were talking about the other day, and that's when they showed Roos. But it's still in the category of new stuff. Yeah. So Roos is really exciting because even though I've primarily played Ramsey because I found him to be extremely good in my like for my play style, uh, Roos is one of my favorite characters. And I always wanted him to be good, and I really like love his attachment name, like the Leech Lord, that just sounds so cool and menacing. So I always wanted him to like be my primary force on the field, but obviously his commander is an NCU, so just never, or I should say, was an NCU. I don't know, like he's obviously on the field now. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really excited about him leading my armies because I definitely want to do that. And this attachment, commander attachment is everything I could really want for as a neutral player. Uh, I think intimidating presence is an awesome extra buff, especially considering everything has vicious for Bolton units now. No, no, I'm sorry. No, Blackguard still don't have it, right? Yes, yeah, I don't think Blackguard have it, but it would be cool. They to added see it maybe a long an time attachment. Ago to girls. Yeah. Yeah, it would be cool to see maybe an attachment give it to them or something. But, uh, yeah, I think Black are the only ones that don't so far. So this but yeah, still helps them because we do know Horrific Visage change, and this will just give it an additional minus one um, yep. and plus one wound. And then Spread Fear just got a crazy buff. I always found it to be kind of hit or miss on Ramsey's commander. Uh, sometimes it could be really clutch when you you know do like eight wounds from one person failing a panic test because another person failed a panic test. It didn't happen all too often, and you didn't really have strong commander bunkers that were capable of making someone fail a panic test. Uh, but now I think like this is this is everything I could really want. I have no complaints. So those that are kind of following along, uh, you can find all these images on the new uh, on all the recent articles of the visions in the flames uh, on Simon's website. You can find it just by typing in uh, the acronym of A Song of Ice and Fire and then Simon, and it should be like the first page to pop up. Uh, but Spread Fear is now in order. When an enemy engaged with this unit fails panic test, one other friendly in long range of that unit suffers one panic test with minus one to their roll for each remaining rank in this unit. On a failure, they suffer plus one wound. So even though panic has gone to D3, this is going to boost it back up to D3 plus one. And if you're at full strength, they're going to be taking that test at minus three. And then intimidating presence when an enemy is engaged with this unit. So uh, the only way that these are going to stack is if you're engaged by two units, one attacks you, uh, or sorry, you attack them, they fail, and then you could, you know, bounce spread fear onto the other one attached to you or uh, uh, engaged with you. And then intimidating presence could stack there. But otherwise, it's enemies engaged with the units suffer minus one morale test and plus one wound. So. Uh, I think uh, and then he has the affiliation uh, of House Bolton, which is on uh, under the heart category, so it can't be taken away, which is a nice thing we're seeing. Thank goodness, kinda... that's finally an <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, it's it's nice that you bring that up. Uh, I had, I think I saw a comment somewhere, um, and uh, not naming names because I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to bring up, you know, the thought process is that I've seen someone talk about how there's a lot of heart uh, affiliation or not, uh, sorry, uh, the innate abilities that can't be taken away being added to new stuff. But I really think it's only other than the new uh, Jojen, 
Um, I think the only thing that they've been adding that to is house affiliation, which I think is amazing. I think that, you know, even if you lose all your abilities, there's no reason that you shouldn't be your house affiliation anymore. Um, Jojen, on the other hand, is really awesome that he has that, but we'll talk about him on Sunday. But I just kind of wanted to bring that up that I, I think, uh, I think adding more affiliate or more uh, innate abilities is just a good and healthy thing. So, uh, Charles, what do you kind of think about uh, the uh, what you kind of mentioned about the affiliation being a heart, and then just Roos in general, his attachment? Yeah, uh, affiliation should have always been innate. I think that's them cleaning up a rules as written versus a rules as intended. Um, you don't magically forget you're a Bolton if you have a Roos in your army, you know, um, as an example. Uh, but Roos as a whole, I think I, I really like. Uh, he seems to give it a play in my local meta. Um, people like him a lot around uh, my part. Um, I think his NCU is very good, actually. I think it's a little bit easier to use well as compared to his previous replacement effect was actually a little hard to use well um, by the very nature of being a replacement. Um, I'm a little leery as a free folk player that there's now double tap crown zaps with a neutral attachment. <laughs> um, but that's a personal bias based on faction choice. Uh, I don't think it's actually unhealthy um, at all. Uh, Intimidating Presence is a really good bonus ability like uh, you guys covered. Um, Spread Fear is very synergist. Uh, it's never been uh, a skewy ability. Um, so being a bit more liberal with it, I think is perfectly fine. Um, I'm really interested to see what Roos's new card is. Um, which I don't think we've covered yet, that he's got a card swap Whisper on his list, um, which is real interesting. Um, he's one of the first commanders we've seen that has a, we know for a fact, he has a whole new card name versus just a rework. So uh, overall, I will give Roos, I give Roos promotion A- minus in the rework and polish category um, for neutral players and out-of-faction players alike. I don't think he breaks anything in any other factions really at the moment. Um, I think he's a, a really good example of uh, some of the polish they're trying to bring to some of these units. What do you think they're um, they're going to do with his NCU? Do you think he'll still have an NCU, or is he just purely going to go to the field? No, they have a they revealed his NCU. They um, oh, I missed it. Yeah, it's uh, um, he has he's a four point NCU with horrific rumors. Uh, Roos begins the game with three order tokens. Each time Roos activates, you may remove one order token from him. If you do, one enemy combat unit becomes panicked. When he claims a zone, you may replace that zone's effect with one enemy combat unit suffers one panic test. So uh, I think he's going to be... He's not going to be like a must-take. He's not even going to be an NCU that you're going to see all over the place. But that's not to say that he's not a good NCU. I think he's going to be perfect in, uh, you know, to kind of reference what I I reference a lot is two um, two list formats where you can make two lists. I think he's going to be key in running a specific list that is going to really punish uh, factions that you know don't like panic tests, uh, especially running him uh, in your second list if you're expecting to play uh, Dance with Dragons or what's the other one? Feast for Crows where you could potentially have double crown zap attempts to make your opponent drop uh, their objectives. 
So I think he's definitely not going to be some NC that you're going to feel like you're going to want to take him all the time uh, or even a lot of the time. But I think he definitely has a very strong place uh, in that he will definitely be very key in certain builds. I'm pretty excited to be able to take a Ramsey commander with a Roos NCU. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I think Fabio had some uh, fluff disagreements with that, but he realizes players really wanted to do it. Uh, <laughs> you want to bring daddy and son. <laughs> yeah, I also want to point out that, like, for you guys are going to cover it on Sunday, I think, uh, the Lannister changes. But um, there are going to be some players who are uh, suspicious of the Cersei change. I think Roos is a really good – if that's your play style on Lannisters, I think Roos and could be a very good option to keeping that list-type viable for them that they really liked what Cersei brought to Lannisters in the past. Yeah, and for those like looking at Roos and thinking, well, before he could, you know, potentially throw out twelve tokens if you replaced a spot, uh, you had to think that, you know, you had to replace the spot. Whereas now, he doesn't even have to replace the spot, and you're still gonna at least get three panics. You can take the mail, throw out a panic if you really wanted to, plus a panic from one of his orders, and still get to draw two cards or even take the crown, uh, not even replace it. Obviously, you, you wouldn't want to because the crown zap at least has a minus one, but you're pa- passing out a panic and then crown zapping him at minus one. Uh, so I I think there's a lot more utility with him than people might realize. Yeah, and in the neutral tech situation, um, you know, true neutral players need all the leverage they can get. In game modes like Honed and Ready and Here We Stand, where you have a zone replacement effect native to the game mode that you don't want to have to be sacrificing your zone for, um, he can put the panic token and shoot the arrows off the wall. And for Here We Stand, where you can take the field with an NCU and apply that at four points to the zone, he can also still place his uh, order to still put a panic token where you want it, right? So that's a lot of flexibility in planning your turns out and two very popular game modes. And uh, next up, we're going to talk about Vargo Hote. And uh, I, you know, I remember it now that uh, I'm looking at it again. But it's funny that we were talking about giving Vicious to Blackguard. But uh, Vargo Hote, um, the Crippler, he's a two-point attachment. He has sadistic uh, mutilation. After this unit completes a melee attack, you may expend one weakened token from the defender. If you do, destroy one infantry attachment in that unit. Also gives his unit Vicious. And he has weakened resolve. Each time an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, they become weakened. So this attachment is super scary because, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, I believe it's called Expert Duelist on like uh, the King's Guard, uh, Jamie. Uh, and, you know, you at least have to roll a three up. Granted, that is a 66% chance, but with Vargo, it's guaranteed as long as they're weakened before you attack. And even if they aren't, if they fail to panic against you, which you have vicious, they're going to become weakened. And uh, sadistic mutilation even says after you've completed your attack. So that weaken that you get from weakened resolve is going to allow sadistic mutilation to trigger. So I'm in for two points. And you can, if you out activate your, or even even activations with your opponent, and wait to deploy them until you know you can deploy across from, you know, either their commander now that you know that their commander has to be a field commander or something else. I think he's going to be, 
I wouldn't say a must take, but he's, you know, how often do you see him right now? You know, I've almost, I don't think I've ever seen Vargo be used as the attachment version. And now he's just super tempting in lots of lists, not just neutrals. What do you think, Charles? Yeah, I think he's very strong. Um, there's a lot of concern in the community that he might be a bit too pushed because of how efficient he is if, in fact, the game metas do shift um, to high uh, attachment um, uh, r- ratios across units. And we also now see with the most recent announcement of no more NCU commanders, there will always be at least one. Yep. Um, I think, again, he is a great addition to straight-up neutrals, something they kind of needed. Now you can put him in a unit, uh, an interesting bunker unit, like um, like we said, Blackguard, right? You give them Vicious. They have Horrific Visage if they keep it. If they stay roughly at six points, uh, it's an eight-point unit, which is really pricey, but it's really, really good at holding an objective and discourages people from coming in to challenge you for that objective because they might fail their uh, Visage check therefore become weakened, at which point you then can just nuke their attachment, right? Um, yep. Uh, so there's a lot of weird zoning counterplay with him that I think is viable for neutral players. Um, but he is he is quite strong, and he's very interesting. And I'm curious to see how impactful he is in the sort of mind games, list chicken version of two-list format, right? Like, the, I can't drop this because this is in that other list um, kind of thing. Well, assuming uh, Jamie expert, the expert, the Kingsguard doesn't change, you can run him in a Lannister list and have two of these guys. And now you don't even really have to worry about, you know, where your opponent places something as long as you strategically place your two units with these guys in them. And you can just go attachment hunting. And it can, I mean, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, but I... I would have to say that that is going to, in a way, discourage uh, attachment lists because who wants, you know, their awesome attachments to just get poked to death, you know, by these abilities. But as you were mentioning with Blackguard, I think he's a perfect fit for them because, like you were saying, uh, they charge into you and uh, horrific uh, visage if they fail that, which if they keep it is a minus three. Now they... uh, they're weakened before they even attack you. They attack, probably not doing that much now that, uh, uh, with them having a three-up save. And then you attack back with Vicious, probably making them weakened again, and then using Mutilation, or even if they have no attachment, they're just simply weakened again. Uh, you know, You could almost ensure that they're always weakened against a three-up armor unit. So, yeah, and yeah, now it's... And honestly, if they fail the passage check, you don't even spend the weekend on the attack. Probably won't one-shot the Blackguard because they're a durable unit. Um, you just take it on the chin, and then you kill their attachment next turn. Like, yep. You just don't even worry about it. Um, because it's you're going to get your two points, or even in some cases three points of value, um, killing something like um, one of these new really spicy, like Night's Watch three points to use or something that's coming out, right? Um, or Commander, just getting rid of proximity commanders and you know, things like whatever Tyrion's going to look like when this is all said and done, right? That's a real big move for you as a player, as a Vargo player. So uh, it's, it's going to be pretty clutch. I think it's going to be an interesting design space for list builders um, to figure out what's the balance of uh, how scared am I of Vargo versus not. Yep. How many points they invest. 
What about you, Justin? How are you feeling about this guy? Uh, I like him a lot. Not much more to say, like, technically that you guys didn't say, but I find it very exciting from a neutral player who sometimes goes to tournaments uh, that I can actually, or seemingly, I mean, I guess we haven't seen the whole content, but it seems that I will have access to a lot more list building tools that might actually benefit me in a competitive sense. So I'm not really just stuck to a, a cutthroat bastard girl kind of feel with maybe flayed men, depending on which version. <laughs> so now it, it definitely seems like my list buildings can become a lot more extensive in a tournament, uh, which could keep my enemy off guard or my opposing player. Cause normally in my opinion, when you fight a, a neutral player right now, you, you know what you're getting into, you know what you need to do if you're a good player. There's not yeah. much question as a how to fight a neutral player if you know what you're doing. Yeah, because unfortunately right now, neutrals are in a weird spot that I feel like Boltons are the only viable of the three in neutrals. And now that's not to say Stormcrows are pretty awesome in other factions that I've seen, but uh, Stormcrows in the neutral faction just don't seem to shine as much as they do in the other faction. So uh, from my experience, Boltons are always kind of the go-to when you want to run purely neutrals for now. But with the changes that we're seeing here, I think that is something uh, you know that's going to definitely be changing. I agree, and I'm very excited about it. I think we've talked a lot about Vargo and his ability to just murder attachments. Uh, straight up and yeah it's going to be fantastic I'm pretty excited but also I think his model looks pretty great so I'm pretty excited to field him more I like his cloak it's big I agree and uh, moving on to Jack and Hagar uh, he is a 4 point NCU now but his ability has completely changed choosing a name when Jacken uh, activates, he may replace his influence ability with the influence ability of any friendly or enemy NCU until the end of the round. A name given, uh, which is his, his influence. When influencing a friendly infantry unit, its melee attacks gain precision. So I'm assuming, you know, he probably just has a name given ability in case you decide not to bring any uh, influence uh, with your other NCUs and your opponent happens to have none because that would be kind of goofy if you know you take them only banking on your opponent and just to realize that your opponent doesn't have any and then now you have an NCU that doesn't really do anything and precision is not like game breaking it's not like something you're really going to take him just for precision but especially now that precision doesn't combo with uh, um, critical blow uh, but um they were talking about uh, in one of their, with uh, I believe the On the Table Gaming uh, podcast, that NCUs are now going to range from f four and five points. Maybe, did I hear six points? I thought it was like a three-point yeah, spread. They said, they said four to six. Okay. So with that said, um, I'm going to have to, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. I don't know if I'm skipping one that maybe they revealed, but there's going to be some influences that are probably four or sorry, five or six points, maybe not six. I don't know. Uh, but at least five pointers that if five points going to be like the mid and mid range uh, with that said, if you can double uh, a influence effect and still have the option for precision, if you didn't want to double it and copying your opponents i'm surprised jacken isn't five points just because points as an ncu with the ability to copy 
even let's say if there is a six point influence effect. I feel like if you're the copy ability, you're the one doubling. And in most games, if you want the same ability, you're at least paying equal, if not more, than you paid for it originally. I um, think that makes sense, though, uh, because they're balancing it around the fact that you could have the best matchup you could have, which is Jockin copying a six point, but you could alternatively just be giving someone precision. So it's risk versus reward. You're not, unless you're the one taking that six point into you. Uh, there's no guarantee nor way for you to ever predict that that's what you're going to be fighting. I guess that's the point, though, is because he's neutral. You can always guarantee, like, that if you wanted to run a six-point NCU, like, okay, I can get two, you know, you know, six-point NCUs essentially for ten points by taking Jacken. So I'm not saying make him six points because, you know, that's a little crazy but i think like meeting in the middle and making them five you know just knowing that you can copy a four five or six essentially especially if down the line they wanted to make a seven i don't think they ever would especially because they've already announced you know four through six but it's just something uh that popped into my head when uh thinking you know thinking about some other games where i was army or, you know list building and they're like here if you want to take this ability again you got to pay double the points or you know whatnot so just something that came to mind i don't think keeping them at four points is like game breaking i don't think it's going to ruin the game it's just kind of a, a afterthought yeah i'm with you i'm with you in that boat where i think he is on my list of things that i think are going to be um taken away from neutrals eventually probably because other factions use it more aggressively as we saw with some other neutral rebalances in the past. He's the closest to that so far, I think. Um, so uh, you guys are probably going to cover it later on. Um, Howland is five points New Highland NCU. Um, and his NCU is five points and actually the added abilities to what it was before. So it's better. Um, so you're looking at double Howland control influences for nine points instead of 10. Um, and then precision on the turn, you need it in a faction like Starks, um, which we already know with some other units still throw a decent bit of attacks out. So um, I think you're going to see a couple of situations where this can be really abusable at four points because it's actually a discounted version of the second trigger, second influence. So yeah. um, this is going to be a spot we're going to keep an eye on where I think it's a great, interesting, fluff, flavorful toy for neutrals. Um, I think somebody's going to jack your toy and, and punish you for it. Um, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's like really punishing more so because unless things change, neutrals don't have an influence to copy. So neutrals are going to use him less than any faction. There's not yeah. like otherwise, like in a tournament setting, you're just hoping your opponent brings an influence. If they don't, you've got precision. Which yeah, exactly. This is more, uh, yeah. Um, precision is precision is better now, even though it doesn't combo with crit. It's actually a lot of higher. damage went down. Stuff. A lot of damage went well, down. And, and, and it's an auto wound instead of no save. Yes, exactly. It's going to get around things like giants at the moment, unless they change the way they're wording, worded. Uh, if uh, fire made flush, it's the same. It's going to get around that as well. Um, Walrus Chieftain uh, gets around that, unless their wording changes. Um, uh, therefore, Stagnite, new Stagnite, if their wording doesn't change. Um, so it's very useful still. 
Um, and oh yeah, I'm one, not saying it's not useful, but for a four. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. And like some things, the uh, morale went up because the overall damage went down. So it's also going to trigger panics a little bit more. So it's in a weird space that precision is probably worth like three and a half points. If I had to say, um, but then this influence could be worth a lot more, like y'all mentioned. So uh, <laughs> he's on my watch list of like I'm really curious what the final big picture looks like. Right? Um, we've only seen one influence, and it's not time to phone it in and say he's you know. He's a problem, but he's on the like. I'm really curious about this design. I could see uh, one way to um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, encourage him in neutral lists while still allowing him. Obviously, he's a neutral NCU in other lists. Make him five points, and then if you are a neutral faction and you take him, he gets a minus one point reduction. So he's still four points for the neutral player, but he's five points if you want to start combining some crazy shenanigans, let's say with Starks, with Holland, as you were mentioning, and that's kind of, I knew there was a five pointer out there they had revealed, but I just couldn't remember it. Um, yeah. Uh, Holland is amazing, especially if they're talking about most things going to four up to hit, reducing attack dice, being less killy. I mean, four up to hit with a double Holland. Now, not that you can put two Hollands on the same unit, but you can put, you know, a Holland over there and a Holland over there. Now you have two units normally hitting on fours that are now hitting on fives. And, uh, you know, you can really do some damage, especially because, uh, let me see here. Um, Holland gives uh, hindering and rough keywords to the unit he's influencing. And now that we know that those uh, keywords mean that they're going to be at minus one move for charging and no rerolls on the charge. So auto disorderly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So now you are hitting on fives with no rerolls if you charge. Well, that's also and, keep that in mind too. Uh, disorderly has also changed. It's now no cards until the end of the return. So um, that's a huge keyword to add to terrain, especially large terrain like forest that doesn't have that keyword innately. Um, that's a very large template. Now they've changed that. He potentially lock them out for that entire activation, um, which means you also can't dice fix. You can't re-roll from other abilities. You can't add triggers on attack from your tactics deck. Um, you know, like that's, there's a lot of stacking implications <laughs> there. Um, to not get too far into what you're trying to cover tonight, but there's a lot to read into there. Oh, especially with the new skirmishers that we covered in a different episode. Yeah. You have skirmishers at a minus sixes. one. Yeah. yeah, and now your four up to hits are now sixes to hit with no rerolls if they charge you and counter strike, meaning mm-hmm. quite you know, meaning quite simply you're not gonna charge. Like they've essentially done something so bad to you that you're not even gonna charge them. And then they charge into you and you're still in the same boat of no rerolls and now you just got hit and now you're possibly weakened if you didn't activate yet. So it I think it might get a little crazy with the minuses, especially, you know, with Jacken basically copying a five point NCU for four points with the, you know, he, you know, let's say you take him with Holland. He is Holland, but better for one point less because mm-hmm. he has, the, you know, granted you're probably almost never going to pick precision over Holland's ability, but you at least still have the option. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it's something to kind of keep a watch on and, as I always say uh, on the show is I have confidence that Simon, whether, you know, that they're, they know more than we do. And worst case scenario, 
if it ends up being true that it is too powerful, they've always done right by us and, you know, fixed, fixed something that they believe is uh, too good. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, moving on to Zorse riders, uh, as you were mentioning, Justin, they are amazing. They went from, in my opinion, probably the most useless unit in the game to almost like, I wouldn't say a must take, but now something that you're probably going to see in a lot of factions because they just provide so many cool uh, tools that'll help you deal with certain things that look like problems, such as uh, stagnites. So why don't you kind of take a, take us away with the, this one. Horse riders. Yeah. Uh, well, I think first of all, uh, they kind of fall into while they're light cavalry. I, I feel like they're kind of an elite cavalry because they are one of the few unit or that we've seen they're maintaining the three up to hit with seven dice. Uh, but they also get to, what do they have when they charge, they get to choose an ability. If they're in the flank of the rear, they get to choose two abilities. And one of them is to shut off the enemy's abilities and the other's crit, which I think combined with their seven attack dice hitting on threes and their movement, um, it's incredibly powerful. And then just like you guys were talking about a second ago, when you have units that have a ton of abilities that are just like, stopping you from doing anything uh these guys can be the answer to that yeah they're a little pricey but you're not gonna you know they're not your frontline fighters you're not gonna charge them forward and hope to one shot anything that's not happening um but they're i think personally that they're a large answer to a lot of problems and being neutral they're an answer for everyone except free folk sorry free folk i know right and they the blank in the ability <laughs> just on the charge means my nsig goes away too um yeah, Zorses are super good. Um, Zorus Riders are super good. They're speed six, so they're a fast cav. Um, they're cheaper than things like Stagnite. So they're actually mid-priced even among infantry at seven points. Um, their other ability that gives Crit Blue also gives them an extra dice. So they're charging on three right, eight dice uh, with Crit Blue, right? So you're back to another uh, nine to ten hits a roll pretty easily with rerolls into a blank unit, so no defense abilities. Um, and there's a very well, good chance of getting in the flank or the rear, so you're getting minuses yeah. to their defense and say and panics. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, they are a very interesting unit. They are the second unit on my things to watch that other factions will probably ruin uh, or try their best to ruin. <laughs> Story of my life. Again. Um, <laughs> of my life, man. Yeah, I was because, just about to say that. <laughs> because they also wreck things like some of the really – Powerful things we're seeing coming out of Lannisters now, uh, Night's Watch, uh, and some of these other factions that have a little bit more revealed at the moment. We have a better view of what their design space is. Um, Zorses are right now um, a very strong default answer because they don't require any support to do what they do. So they're a very good neutral option for everyone else. Um, so, yeah, they're super I good. Think I think one thing to note with them is that they look like really amazing and they are, but to not, uh, I guess, think that they're too crazy. Anyone that's listening, that's kind of looking at their profile. They are, I would say mostly all offense and very little defense. Cause you have to think their, uh, motley, uh, armaments is only when they attack. So you're not going to be able to shut off offensive abilities and they only have a five up save seven up morale um so these guys are really going to be a support uh run in and do a lot of damage 
uh, but they're not going to be able to sustain, uh, like, be sustaining in combat for a long time if they can't, uh, you know, whittle down their opponent. So you're definitely, I don't think for a seven point cost, you're going to want to take these guys on a one-on-one somewhere. Unless maybe it's some five point uh, unit that you think your initial attack can really uh, take them out quite a bit. But uh, yeah, I would say these guys are probably right where they need to be. I would say maybe a very strong seven point unit, but uh, appropriately priced. I think you're just going to have to pick your battles wisely, which I think is personally, I think is a huge part of the game. Uh, I never like it when a unit is just, you know, like I fit every rule. I can do whatever I want. I can want, I can take on anybody. Like, no, I think just like chess or any strategic game, you, you want to pick your battles and get them. You want the most like viable fight per unit. You don't just want to be tossing them in. So they're going to be sitting back waiting for the right moment to strike. Yep. And uh, another thing to keep in mind with these guys is, you know, their elusive escape uh, can come in handy. Uh, This unit may reroll any retreat distance dice. Enemies this unit disengages from may not pivot and become weakened. So uh, if you're able to uh, use the free retreat with these guys, you can, let's say you do get the flank. Let's say you're lucky enough to get the flank. Uh, which isn't like super easy initially. You can get both effects, do some big damage to your opponent, and then use the free maneuver to, uh, you know, roll. You know, you'd get to get a reroll and get behind their like the whole enemy line, and now you're in the rear for when you uh, the next round comes. Uh, these guys could really start doing a lot of damage, especially if, like you were saying, Justin, you know, you pick your target correctly, pick some weak unit that you know that you can charge in and uh, um, get, you know, take off enough of their ranks that their attack back isn't really going to do much to you. Even if they take the free attack against you, uh, your next action before they can attack again is that free uh, retreat. And because they can't pivot, they're not going. They're going to have to spend their actual activation to just to face you. So they're not going to be because normally, if you did that uh, that strategy, after you retreated, they would just pivot to face you and then charge you. But with this ability, they can't even do it, and they become weakened. So uh, this is like an amazing ability to be able to charge in and not be scared to be double attacked because if they try to block the maneuver from you, you just then take the attack again and attack them twice. So, um, so yeah, I think these guys have a lot of potential. Yep. And then we have to see some tactics next too. We got some hit and runs and retreat cards and stuff, which could be really cool with these guys as far as like kind of tech finesse play, you know, they're gonna be an exciting unit to see them on the table for a while and see what people do with them. I think it's yep. going to be a high, not a high skill base, but I think uh, they're going to perform exponentially better in the hands of a good player than they will in a, in yeah. a newer because player. Not like not on the level of Bastards Girls, but still to a pretty high level. Yeah, because they're glass cannony, exactly. They're going to have a lower. Uh, they're actually kind of hard to not just give up for free at times if you're bad at that. But they're going to have a very high ceiling if you are uh, get a lot of practice and give them some love. That's the kind of yep. unit I like, so I'm totally excited to... And they're going to be fun to paint. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I've i only painted one so far uh, for Justin, unfortunately. 
I wish it was mine. <laughs> I'll have <laughs> one for myself eventually, but I liked the way they turned out a lot, and I was a little sad to see them go. <laughs> um, so moving on, we can kind of, let's see, I believe that's everything for neutral, so we can jump over to Baratheons. First up, I wanted to talk about uh, Shira. So for Shira, she went from three points to four points, uh, as I'm pretty sure every three-pointer is doing from what they've pretty much said. Uh, so no longer will we see three-point attachments. So she is now still considered the, the lowest point, uh, or sorry, not attachment, point NCU you can get currently, which is four points now. Uh, they did give her an added ability, which is something I believe they also talked about, is that uh, um, all the three-pointers that are going to go to four points are getting added abilities to make them worth their you know point increase. Uh, Shira has a fairly uh, simple addition. So before is when you claim the, the letter, she could uh, heal a token, which is opposite what the letter does, but you also get the effects uh, of the, the letter. And if you take the wealth, you can place a token, which is the opposite of the wealth, while still getting the wealth's ability. But the problem that she had before was that if both those places were taken, then, you know, her... Uh, she herself would not really do anything else. So you wanted to really try to trigger her on one of those two spots. But she was only three points, so it was still more than worth it. But now they've added that when you claim the crown with her, you can restore one wound to one friendly combat unit. So it may not seem very strong, and it, in my opinion, is definitely the weakest of the three. But in combination with Rose Knights, I think it'll be... You know, I think uh, the Renly side is probably going to want her a lot more than the uh, um, Stannis side. But with that said, Stannis has almost no ways to heal uh, outside of maybe Tycho. Um, so she does add some healing to a Stannis uh, loyalty army, which is nice. Um, and it gives her three spots to have to choose from. It's also, I think, uh, pretty important to note that uh, Baratheon's cards want the or they, they like the crown a lot. And what Renly's first commander had like a replace the crown spot, but for the most part, like crown is still generally an undesirable spot. So now it gives them a little easier access to taking it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point actually, because my favorite commander is actually the starter box Stannis, and replacing the crown to get all three tokens was key to kind of triggering some cool combos. But the nice thing about Shira is all you have to do is claim the spot. So if you claim the crown, you can heal a wound, and then still replace it to do the card, which is super nice. Yeah, she's interesting to me. She is, I think she was mostly felt, they felt she was pretty okay uh, where she was, except for she was three points. So they brought her to four. Um, and interesting to note for me is, so she's not limited by a faction, if I'm not mistaken, to, to go four. So her heal is actually really good with Rose Knights if they stay like they are with the heal to wound mechanic, which is interesting. Um, we also see little things like ranks and, Solos wounds equaling um, ranks in terms of holding objectives. So I think the crown addition is going to be quite relevant to scenario play in very small ways. Like it's going to feel like a really big play when you make it because you remember it's there. Um, that could be really tech. 
Um, but also it's worth noting her bags um, claim got nerfed um, or changed rather. Um, so before, when she claims the, the bags, uh, you can place one token on enemy unit of any kind. Um, now it's when she claims uh, it's only if you remove the token, so you have to have one on your units. You can't just go in cold and not have any on your units. Um, and then you have to place one of that type specifically. So you have less flexibility on the bag now, but you gain that like kind of sideways tech option of the crowns. So I think it's an interesting adjustment from a three to a four with those changes for her. It's going to take some Baratheon players a second to get used to it. Uh, I definitely like that, actually. I mean, it is a slight nerf, but it does kind of curb, uh, you know, just tossing like tons of tokens out, which can be, you know, kind of problems problemsome as it is but mm -hmm. uh i don't think it was a super big nerf that uh i just uh, overall i still think she's worth her four points with the added sure. effect and the small nerf yeah that's what i'm saying i think she's still gonna be very good and very popular it's just gonna take him a second to get used to it and i think the crown play is gonna be more impactful than people are gonna give it credit for until they see it in game modes uh moving on uh stagnite noble is an attachment for two points uh, so uh, still the same point cost as he was before, but no longer does he give a free attack, uh, oh. taking two wounds to your unit. Now he has Iron Resolve, Go Down Fighting, and Stubborn Tenacity. Uh, so sir, for Stubborn Tenacity, you're looking at each time this unit passes a panic test, one enemy they are engaged with suffers one wound. Uh, go down fighting is each time a ranked in, rank in this unit is destroyed, one enemy they are engaged with suffers one wound. And then I'm resolved is to get plus one to their panic test rolls and minus one to failing a panic test. So with that said, with the new uh, change to panic, if they don't have a way to boost it, such as, uh, you know, some of the Lannister stuff or neutrals, then you are looking at taking uh, D3 minus one. So at most you're taking two if you roll a three. If you roll a two, you're taking one. And if you roll, you have a 33% chance that even if you fail your panic test, you take nothing. Uh, so I'd say this is easily a two-point attachment. I wouldn't say it's a must in every single unit, but I would say if you're going to invest in a eight-point stagnite, that this is definitely you know a nice uh, extra you know for ten points to really give them that uh, defensiveness, you know, because they're, what, I believe a five up, so they're going to basically be a four up morale with taking less wounds, and then you're going to almost always pass your panic test dealing a wound, and then for every rank they take down on you, you're dealing a wound, and the stagnites have uh, seven, seven, seven dice, so losing your uh, offensive uh, potency. Yeah, uh, this is probably going to be the poster child for what people want their two-point NCUs to look like, honestly. Um, Baratheon players have been really excited about this for a lot of reasons. One, they love the model, which I think is cool. Um, and it does a lot of things Baratheons always felt they needed. While people love extra attacks, Baratheons already have quite a few ways to get out of activation attacks because of their tactic deck currently. So if it stays roughly like that, then they feel like they have plenty, I think. Um, but I think getting wrecked by panic damage out of nowhere, um, having some of that stubborn tenacity, I think stubborn tenacity is a beautiful spike card ability, which I think fits Baratheon flavor-wise. 
Um, I think there's a lot to be happy with at this small kind of two-point window with this guy. Um, do I think he's amazing? No. But I do think there are some units that Baratheon just didn't play in certain matchups because of morale problems. And this kind of curves that part of the learning curve for Baratheon players. So I think it's a solid pickup. Yeah, I'd say that uh, he's at a two-point price tag, especially, I believe, in their most recent uh, podcast. They were talking about attachments being generally one to two points with very rare occasions of them being three points now. And when you do have a three-pointer, they're going to be super impactful. I'm assuming for the fact that they're almost the price of an NCU. So with him being two points, that is assuming that's already kind of the higher end. Uh you're not really going to see this guy in, you know, your five point warden. Uh, I don't think he's really meant for something like that. I think he's really going to be meant for your more expensive unit already, just to kind of help ensure that your investment stays alive. What do you think, Justin? Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, especially not using him in uh, like smaller point units. Like he is still two points while that's not, like a super high point value. Um, still, we're limited to 40-point games, so that makes it a struggle, especially when you're trying to get you know some field presence and stuff. Two points is close to half of a cheap unit, so it could be a struggle sometimes. But Stagnites definitely were being punished f- before for their panic, even though it was at a five, which is good. But without anything to like build upon that, sometimes it's just not good enough. And when you lose an entire rank of Stagnites, uh, that's that's over two points of units dead. So this guy is probably in most situations going to be worth his two points. He's probably going to save you more than two points worth of guys. If you really have those stagnites up in the front engaging constantly. But uh, I think personally, I'll have to try him out a bunch to get the feel of how many I should bring, how worth it is he, is he a must take? Is he not a must take? I'm not entirely sure yet. Yeah. And I think with the, the go down fighting and the stubborn tenacity doing auto wounds, this will definitely help you in the matchups where you face uh, maybe giants or anything that's going to have uh, your attacks and potentially, you know, limit the, your offensive potential, you know, based on their defensive uh, abilities, whether it be from blocking hits or just anything defensive of that nature. So, um, I think uh, definitely an awesome two-point attachment. Uh, You're not going to see him all over the place, but I think he definitely has uh, a couple great spots uh, to place him in at the moment. Uh, Moving on, uh, last thing we have for Baratheons is the Baratheon Sentinels. Uh, And they have changed, uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but they've changed enough that, uh, you know, they're, you know, kind of a different role, I would think. Uh, So they still have the same move. And they have the same armor of a five move and a four up armor. Uh, they still have Sundering, but now they have a six up morale rather than seven, which I think was, in my opinion, the only thing they needed before. I thought where they were at before was perfect, uh, with the exception of just making their morale a six. Um, but now they hit on fours and they lost one die at max rank. So they're uh, seven, six, four hitting on fours, but the biggest change of them, in my opinion, is they were given the order Sentinel. Another, after another friendly unit in long range is attacked, this unit performs one charge or maneuver action. If charging, it must target the attacker. So as you were saying, uh, 
Charles, about them having like the ability to have so many different like out of uh, activation actions, you know, just free actions. This is just stacking on top of that. So even though they hit one worse and they have one less die at max, um, you have to assume that's from what they've been making it sound like this is normal. So is just something that everyone is for the most part getting. So even though if you were to take both this unit and the the or both versions side by side, you would look at it as a just a straight up nerf. The fact that everyone's pretty much getting this kind of makes this part like kind of moot. Uh, and really, you're just looking at the fact that they were given a morale and a potential free activation. Yep, yeah, that's basically it in a nutshell. There, um, they're a unit that's going to be really interested to see what kind of attachments are in Baratheons as a whole. I don't know if they're a home for a Stagnite Noble, but it's not the worst thing to put there. Um, but I do think it's uh, Sentinels are going to play a major part in the way Baratheons play in terms of spacing. People already had to play around counter counter charge, but mostly they could kind of predict it by denying you cards. Um, I think having just orders, having counter charge on a stick, that's also a maneuver, which gives you more objective play than just charging, is a huge finesse addition to Baratheons that they didn't have before, especially now that deployment zones are more standardized to where it's easier for Baratheon units to get to mid-table. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, if this didn't have the free maneuver part, it would kind of be in the same boat as the counter charge uh, tactics card where people could play around it too much, but giving that free maneuver just has given it so much uh, flexibility that this order is way better than it seems on paper. Mm -hmm. It gets real hard to deny flanks. It lets you get to uh, objectives. It lets you get to destructible terrain and just break it. If it's a problem, like it just gives you outs, which I think is something Baratheons didn't have. Courtney was so popular because Courtney was the commander that gave you outs. I'm down on card advantage. I have counterplot. They have better quality activations because their abilities and orders. I have uh, was a defensive counter or whatever it is he has. Things like that all really mattered on Courtney. Uh, I'm getting beat up. I'm going to heal up. Um, he had outs. He was really Baratheon's only outs because of the way their tactics deck is structured. This is an out. This is I jammed myself up. They jammed me up. Terrain is a problem. I can't gap close. This does so much on one order at six points for Baratheons as far as board presence and field control that they've never had before. So it's very exciting to see that for them going into the 2021 season of gameplay. I would almost say that these guys, I know that for a lot of people, it's hard to see that four up to hit in the seven, six, four profile. Um, but try to look past that. And I would say these guys are, like like an auto include as a at least a one of because having just a one of uh of these for that order to kind of get into that position and like you're saying having an out is just you know it's really good as at least a one of in your army to give you that little bit of variety. What do you think, Justin? Always calling me after you've talked about everything. Uh, <laughs> I. I know they're used a lot, but I never thought that Sentinels were incredibly impressive. They usually, I mean, I definitely don't play as many Baratheon games as I do neutral, so that's possibly part of it. But they always kind of let me down a little bit. But I think with Sentinels, it's going to be impossible to just either ignore them or just 
go for him. I think like a double Sentinel list is going to be extremely popular and you just have him sitting on not the far flanks of your army, but the middle flanks of your army. Uh, and they're going to have a lot of strengths. They did become more defensive because of the natural shift to less damage and all the other stuff. Um, so I definitely think we're going to be seeing less wardens because I love wardens, but they were definitely the fill-in because other things just weren't doing the trick. <laughs> yeah. For me personally, I loved Sentinels. Uh, I'd run Sentinels all the time in my Baratheon builds. Uh, but one thing to note, as long as the card doesn't change, it might change slightly because of how much dice it gives, but uh, hold the line for plus one to hit and plus two attack dice. If these guys get a free charge, charge in, and then when they actually activate, you can see these guys back at a three up with nine dice, you know, but with that said, there's a good chance that that card is probably not staying the same. I could see it maybe going to like plus one to hit and plus one die. Uh, so, but even, even if it just has the plus one to hit, having those, you know, hitting on threes with, uh, will definitely help because that free charge means that even though you're hitting on fours, you're at least getting re-rolls. Um, so, I believe a four-up re-rollable is even better than a three-up. That said, I think we can move on to the next one that we're going to talk about, which is Free Folk. Uh, and you were saying that uh, you're a Free Folk player, correct? Yeah, I'm pretty much a Free Folk main. Awesome. And uh, so first off, we can talk about uh, Lady Val, since the other two kind of go hand-in-hand hand with each other. Lady Val has been increased to four points, as we have been seeing. Uh, but she has been giving an added effect. When Lady Val claims a zone, you may replace that zone's effect with one friendly combat unit performs one maneuver or retreat action. If they retreat, one enemy they uh, disengage from becomes vulnerable. So before, she was literally just the maneuver zone. But now she has this awesome added effect, and I think uh, adding some vulnerable is uh, definitely uh, worth that extra point. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see. So free folk are in a situation similar to, um, well, I think we've actually seen Baratheons, actually. I think they're similar to Baratheons in that we haven't seen very many of their updates yet. We've seen more of other factions. It's a little hard to see their design space um, as far as what's going to be. Um, I think, honestly, Lady Valid four points with just a maneuver zone is still worth four points. I don't know, because I don't know how the units are going to play yet, how much that retreat on Vulnerable is going to matter. Because at the moment, with the amount of space you have with Free Folk you're playing with, because they're very much about space and pace, um, they clog the board a lot, actually retreat very much, because you don't have much that's fantastic on the charge. <laughs> a lot of times you're just kind of dug in, and that's kind of the point. Um, but that could change with their design space. So it become much, could be much more relevant and be worth a full point. But if we're being honest with each other, of the generic zone replacement effects, getting a free maneuver was probably the best one out there in a lot of ways already. Um, so that going alone, going from three to four, is probably a fair trade as far as game balance and healthy game state. So I think yeah, especially when you can uh, replace a key spot that free folk don't necessarily need or want. Now yeah, between like her. Yeah, between her and the maneuver zone, you could have two free maneuvers. Plus, if Harma keeps uh, follow me, mm -hmm. 
you I mean you could have so many free maneuvers happening you know it can really get your uh units in into position yeah that's the real power of her before and now and it's still worth four points um just because of how the game modes are designed you don't need to see the design space for the faction itself to know that that's worth that's valuable to the way you play the game um fundamental game mechanics value that trigger so uh, she will still be played in pretty much every list um, as the third NCU, if it's a three NCU meta, or uh, most lists, even probably if it's a two NCU meta, unless we get some really um, fancy NCUs, which we are kind of known for since we can't take neutrals. So. Yep. What do you think, Justin? Uh, I'm not much of a free folk player, but I, I guess it's not necessarily about change but it's interesting that uh you mentioned that you don't really care that much about retreating because you just you're not not any better when you charge <laughs> you're just <laughs> sitting there and taking it uh that's a really good point so i don't think uh i always thought she was definitely a four point into before and it's kind of nice hearing that from a uh free folk player i think a lot of people have a hard time admitting that things are a little too too good sometimes <laughs> Yeah, like right now in 1.6, if you told me that I had to pay four points for her, my three NCUs would probably still be Mance, Sire, Lady Val, and I would shave a point somewhere, just straight up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress over it. Like I probably still would pick her over Craster half the time and Egret, other than maybe a second list where I specifically needed it to deal with influences, right? Like she probably still beats my other two three-pointers half the time or better, just because of what she does for space and pace, which is how they play. It's kind of the faction identity as it stands. Yeah, and one thing to note with the free folk is that, you know, besides maybe like giants or, you know, uh, anything of that nature, more so like their infantry, they don't have a ton of hitting power, you know, like that punch that they really need, that that vulnerable definitely could come in handy. Because I've said it before, and I think vulnerable tokens... Uh, are a lot more useful than sundering if you know you have if you mm-hmm. had to choose one or the other. So, I think giving um, free folk the ability to throw out a vulnerable token, uh, maybe not as simple as that, but just the the option of it definitely will help with being able to get through some tougher armor. Yeah, yeah. There's a mathematical point where sundering becomes slightly better than vulnerable, but it's. Uh real negligible until you get to like playing in a vacuum at super top tier play for the most part vulnerable more flexible then next up we have the raid leader uh combined with the free folk so or sorry the free folk the free folk raiders so raiders are now four points but they have a minus one to attachment uh costs so Essentially, they are still three points. You just have to essentially run them with an attachment to really get their value, um, which I think was a brilliant way to keep them at their cost while forcing them up to, uh, you know, four-point minimum so you you couldn't spam them as much. With that, you now don't have to take them in pairs. So whereas before you were investing six points uh, because you had to minimum, uh, now you can just invest four points. Granted, you're not having two activations, but I think it gives you a lot more flexibility. While uh, it seems a bit more thematic, the fact that you have these raiders that are just a bunch of you know guys that 
are not being led by anyone. Uh, so that attachment kind of gives them the flavor of, you know, someone leading, leading them along to, you know, do what they need to do. But on their actual tactics card, they still remain with uh, insignificant, cowardly, which is they suffer plus two wounds from failing panic tests. So essentially, if you base it on the way you're playing right now, it's only one more wound because uh, it's D3 plus one currently, and the new rules, it will be going to just D3. So cowardly may seem crazy good or bad, I should say, uh, may seem crazy bad for them, but it makes sense. Um, they are a very cheap unit. And even if they die kind of quickly, you have insignificant to not have to worry about giving up that point. Uh, they hit on fours. They have six, five, four. So one thing to look forward to is that they're only losing one die at every rank. They have a five move, a five up save, and an eight morale, which is what they have currently. Uh, but the raid leader for one point. So essentially, if you put him in there, he could be the one point deduction, making him still a four point unit. And they regain a much better gang up. Gang up now is friendly units, melee attacks, gain plus one to hit and plus one attack die on enemies they are engaged with this unit and at least one other friendly unit. So it doesn't necessarily do anything right off the bat, uh, but it. If you have two units uh, engaged in the with the enemy, they both get plus one to hit and plus one die. So they uh, just the raiders themselves will be going to three up to hit with seven six five. So that's that's hitting it. You know that's better than most things are going to be hitting with basically a better profile than most things are going to be hitting. And these guys are only going to be four points. Granted, you're going to have to you know, double, double up on your enemy. But I think there's a lot of potential because that's just, that's probably the worst profile, you know, minus maybe trappers in combat. So imagine what the profile is going to look like for uh, anything that already hits on three up. So um, we're going to have to see, again, we haven't seen much of the design space. Um, as a free folk player, I'm erring on the side of caution and not assuming I'm going to have much that's going to hit already on a three up because in the current meta, where not meta but design space of 1.6, where a three up seems to be kind of the average, I have like one unit, right? Um, it's not something we have an equal share in across the board. Um, so it's not actually likely that if things are getting balanced around four up, that we're going to end up with more than one. Um, where gang up seems like a super great ability for raiders, it already doesn't come into play very much um, because of how the board gets spaced out. Um, amount of units in play for both factions, terrain and objective spacing. So losing it is more of a bad feels to free folk players knee jerk reaction than it actually is on the table because you're paying more for your unit, but you're losing a thing that could come up sometimes. So you're right in that it's free, um, but before for four points, um, I could have put another attachment in there and gotten something else out of it and still kept it. Um, the other thing to consider with free folk, um, I'm not a huge fan of the change giant dramatically, and I guess I'll preface this with that. I didn't play free folk to play a million raiders and trappers either, so this is not just <laughs> that I love my toys and I want to keep them that way. It's not why I bought the faction to begin with. It just kind of became a thing. Um, so with cowardly being only one more than we currently play it now, being like, oh, well, that's only, you know, a 
33% increase, uh, it's not dramatic. Um, it's actually a 66% swing because panic damage across the board went down one as a general rule. So now we lose two, we lose five terabytes, three cap, right? And that's not counting um, the prevalence we see currently and what has been spoiled in panic manipulation abilities. Um, so as it stands, I'm not a huge fan of Raiders because I'm worried it's going to be back like 1.4 and kind of release where they're going to get shot once from long range and then crown zapped and the entire unit is dead. Statistically, that's what happens. Um, or Roost will crown zap the turn. Um, so I'm a little leery of that. Uh, I'm going to have to see. There could be some fantastic attachments coming out. Weeper is very promising um, as far as a cool design space. So I'll have to see. But I'm kind of on the fence about that. I actually think the Raid Leader is going to be good in other units. So I do think the Raid Leader is going to be good in other units. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, one combo, assuming uh, two things didn't change, and that's uh, Mance. I th Mance and the Walrus Chieftain. I think putting a Walrus Chieftain here to make them a five-point unit, and then just take two of these guys. You know, you don't have to like spam a bunch of them. Just take two, each with a Walrus Chieftain, and then stick them in front of Mance, who's in some trappers, and give these guys a five-up morale with the Giant rule. I think will be a really tough uh, nut to crack. Uh, it'll really give you a solid base while having that hidden traps uh, in the backfield uh, to trigger things while these two five-point units really bog down just about anything. Uh, I think will be a nice kind of like base for any Mance players out there. Me personally, I kind of flip-flop uh, between Mance and Rattleshirt, but those two are by far my favorite uh, Free Folk um, uh, commanders. Yeah, there's a lot of cool potential there, like you mentioned. Um, like I said, we haven't seen much of their releases yet, so it's kind of hard to project the design space. Um, I have a feeling there'll be something cool there. Um, I think in one of the articles they mentioned some of the, like, um, stalwart-type abilities are going to become a little less prominent. Um, but I have a hard time envisioning um, Mance's bubble changing since Greyjoys have access to a similar uh, commander. Um, so I do think there's a good chance that that kind of helps um, strengthen the starter box commander, which I do think is a healthy design space of the game and getting people into the faction. So uh, I do think you're right in that that sort of foundation of um, four mechanic game to the starter set is probably something that they had in their design philosophy. Um, and uh, I do think that those types of plays will probably be accessible to players, which will be interesting to see. Yep. Justin, uh the current form and the and this form, how do you kind of feel about the change? Do you think uh, would you lean more towards like a it's a a boost uh, or a nerf or kind of a lateral change to these guys? I feel like it's more lateral. Um, one thing I think should be interesting, uh, and you kind of touched on it. They used to be essentially six points. That's at least what you were like obligated to pay if you wanted to bring two raiders but now with them being four maybe that opens up a lot more combos for list building for free folk and that could be very potentially good uh, and then obviously depending on what attachments end up as that's really going to be the make or break of them being amazing or not oh, um i think i think they're pretty okay right now i think the, the raid leader kind of being 
I don't want to say like with them, but usually you see like an attachment belonging to a unit. I know that's obviously not the case, uh, like almost all the time, but that's like where they get their identity from a little bit. I think the raid leader is definitely really strong and definitely builds upon the strengths of the free folk. Yeah, and like you were saying, Charles, I think the raid leader might be better suited in a different unit. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I feel like it really just depends on the list. I think it's really going to depend on what attachments we see, what their abilities end up being, because who knows, you know, all the attachments uh, they currently have for all their different units could com have completely different abilities, and then they could combo with the raiders in a bunch of cool ways. Um, the only one that I am pretty confident that they might, that they probably won't change is the Walrus Chieftain, just because it just came out in the attachment box. I just think if any of them are going to stay, the chances that one changes is very slim. Um, two points, though, you know, it's a heavy price to pay. Makes them a five-point unit. But like I was saying before about uh, when we we're talking about Sentinels, most things are going to be hitting on fours, and most things got dice reduction. So the fact that these guys are 654, their attack profile is probably barely weaker than most things attacks profiles. And if you made these guys five points, and as long as you were able to mitigate their morale, I think these guys will be, you know, with a Walrus Chieftain, assuming, uh, in them to make them a five-point unit, I think these guys could be, you know, better than any of the other five-point units out there. You know, like you said, we'll have to wait and see. Let's see the full picture. Uh, it's a lot of unknowns, so we can kind of only speculate at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with that said, we can kind of wrap it up by talking about the last faction here. We only have uh, three more things to talk about for the Targaryens. Um, a lot of really cool changes. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, get right into it. So we have the first thing on their list is a Screamer Co. So before, what he did was he gave the unit, uh, I believe, Sundering on the charge only uh, for one point. He is currently still only one point, but now he has the order Martial Training. When this unit performs a melee attack before rolling attack dice, this attack may re-roll any attack dice and the defender becomes vulnerable. So, oh man, this is an amazing one-point attachment. Oh, and uh, so another thing I almost glossed over, this unit may only, or this attachment may be only uh, put in Targaryen units. So you won't be able to combo this with uh, Flayed Men or uh, Zorus Riders, uh, which is important uh, piece of information. But uh, I want to look something up real quick. Uh, while I do that, what do you kind of think of this guy, Charles? Uh, I think he's really good. Um, I think putting a unit like faction loyalty limit on him was very important. Um, and I think that that is a good indication of some balance changes to come of some things we've looked at before in 1.6 where we think, oh, you know, this is out of flavor and really good and say neutral abuse or something like that. Uh, things like that are going to show a very elegant design space for the game and should bode well for the health of it whenever the rules turn over. Um, his ability, his order is fantastic for a one-point attachment in general, all the time. Um, 
for any faction who had something like this. <laughs> it's really good. Um, it is pointing to a pattern uh, also. So we keep talking about things losing dice um, and hitting harder or softer. Um, there's actually a ton of new N8 reroll tech. And most things that lost the dice on the top end, game went on the bottom end. So dice actually level out across all ranks. So things that have these reroll orders, I think are going to be real prominent in the meta when it comes out. Not just meta, not say meta in general, but like in the design space. I think they're going to be important to not make games take forever. Uh, and that you're straight up, we're entrenched. I still get rerolls as if I charged is going to be relevant. Um, and we already know that in the current edition, um, Targaryen Cavalry have a problem of being stuck in. They need to get out. They're not built for staying power. Uh, this ability here is going to help them finally finish off a unit in a meaningful way um, in a pitch battle, a grind fest. Um, it's going to be a huge boon to Targaryen players trying to really enjoy their uh, Targaryen Cav versus, say, Unsullied or Dragons. So I think this is really important to Targaryen play outside of things that already see play. I think you'll start to see much more cav on the table in a, in a fun, meaningful way with this attachment. Another thing to note with this guy is I almost feel like he's going to be a must-take in pretty much any cav. And the reason I say that is because uh, re-rolling attack dice, as you said, because if they're going to be hitting on fours and less dice and making them vulnerable, uh, and in, like we just discussed, in most situations, vulnerable is going to be better than sundering, uh, not to mention what if they already have sundering. Um, but with the new terrain piece keywords, taking away your rerolls on the charge, this is going to basically allow you to always reroll, whether or not you charge through terrain, whether or not you started the turn engaged. Um, and rerolls at any level uh, is going to be super useful. I feel like this guy would be worth his points, even if he didn't give out the vulnerable token. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think mechanically, uh, his ability comes at a premium uh, as far as list building. Yep. And uh, the one thing I, I went to look up, because uh, it's sometimes just forget the name of abilities because you get so used to just what they do. Now, this is a long shot, and it's a little off topic, but it's kind of to talk about something we talked about in another episode is about uh, the Umber Berserkers and whether or not they became better or not. Well, Martial Training is the same name as the Sworn Sword Captain. So the Sworn Sword Captain literally just became this ability as the Screamer Co. You're looking at Umber Berserkers that are going to be hitting on fours, threes, twos, always with rerolls, making your opponent vulnerable. So for a one-point attachment, you now have Berserkers that are back to their seven-point cost that are re-rolling their four-up to hit if they're at full. And as we just, I've mentioned a couple times now, Vulnerable in most cases being better than Sundering, they now have an even better ability than they did when they had the Sundering. So, man, uh, like I said, speculation and kind of off-topic, but I just kind of wanted to throw it in there uh, while we're on the on the topic of the martial training. Yeah, we're going to switch from talking to my raiders to talking about the berserkers. <laughs> It'll be a little triggered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, umber, uh, the umber attachment is also super good for berserkers, bringing them back to seven, their old attack profile, basically, at seven points with Vicious Dead, which is also crazy. So um, with like a pseudo Caitlyn ability. So like berserkers are being a good, people who have painted berserkers, 
because they're very good. And like, oh, I own two, three units of painted berserkers. I promise you, you'll be okay. You'll have a oh, great yeah. time and a beautifully painted army because burgers are still very, very good. I will definitely second that. I have, uh, let's see, I have three of them painted, mm-hmm. and I have a fourth one that was in my like kind of giveaway pile for like events. But I'm highly considering taking that <laughs> unit out and painting them up to have four because at six points, even though you're more than likely going to put an attachment in them, they're a lot more feasible to you know run a bunch of them. But uh, yeah, these anyone worried about Berserkers, currently my favorite unit, and I see their change, and I think they're amazing. Anyways, to get back on topic with the Targaryens, next up we have uh, Ilio, uh, which is four points now. He is, each time he claims a zone, you may replace that zoned, zone's effect with target one friendly combat unit. They restore three wounds. One enemy they are engaged with becomes weakened. So even though his three-point NCU is only three points, so it was nice there, and he could give an activation back to someone, the timing was always off uh, with the fact that you had to then wait to use that activation for your next uh, uh, turn. I think he is, even with the point increase, so much better. Uh, healing in a Targaryen and healing and giving a weaken for a Targaryen force is just amazing. Being able to heal those uh, unsullied back up that are, you know, starting to die uh, and the weakened is just even more defensiveness, you know, the healing and the weaken. So I think this guy, I wouldn't say he's a must take, but if assuming the other NCUs kind of stay the way they are, I feel him as a very strong competitor between those other uh, NCUs. Yeah, absolutely. So you already see Tycho um, in the current uh, 1.6 version taken in Targaryens because uh, an elite faction really does need healings, and Targaryens are priced at an elite level. Um, So looking at a unit like this with a replace effect that is um, basically a a more intriguing bags, um, uh, essentially... Uh, gives them more play, right? Like we said, we saw the increased value placed on ranks um, and game modes, um, not just in holding the objective because you didn't feel panic or anything or contesting controlling ones, but also in game modes where something as simple as attacking allows you to take the objective away, even if they don't feel their panic check, just because you have more ranks than them. So this is a real big play for the elite play style of Targaryens. Uh, in the same way, we saw healing be a very big play for Night's Watch 1.6. Um, I think this is very healthy for Targaryens because it gives them a more consistent action than what that one time, once per game, free activation was. But before things like this, just kill it faster was their only out in gameplay. And that is one of the reasons why they struggled in tournaments because game mode is so important in multiple rounds throughout an event. So, um, I think this is a really healthy thing for Targaryen design. I agree. And assuming their tactics deck stays relatively similar with the spots that they want between the maneuver and the combat zone, the combat zone's kind of a given. You're almost, especially in a faction like this, going to want to use that free attack. But the let's say if you're running all Dothraki, you really don't need that free maneuver almost ever. You know, you're usually able to maneuver plenty as they are. 
So being able to use him to take that maneuver spot to trigger your uh, zone effects while trading it for a much more useful ability uh, with a Dothraki force, I think will be nearly priceless. Yeah, and like you mentioned in some previous uh, cards, um, zone denial is a big part of um, the learning curve in the game um, for trying to be a bit more competitive with your lists, not just playing to what your list wants to do, but understanding what your opponent's list wants to do. So being able to take zones from Lannisters or uh, take crowns from Lannisters or letters from Baratheons, things like that at turns where um, if you have five cards and the new rulebook change says you can't have more than five cards. So you don't want to take um, letters because you like your hand. Um, but denying it to your opponent is very important. But you're not wasting cards. You're not punished for that. Healing elite units is always valuable. And putting out a weekend is always valuable. So um, I think he's just going to be really healthy for Targaryens. Um, yep. I like him a lot. And uh, for those kind of worried about, we'll probably have a show about uh, the changes to commanders and, you know, no more NCUs and no three-point uh NCUs. Um, just to kind of put a little, you know, some minds at ease, I've been trying to test a ton. I've been getting like uh, four or five in-person games a week, and I would say I'm still, uh, I've been testing out a lot of three NCU lists, you know, anywhere from 12 to 13 points in NCUs while running like four strong combat units. So I'm still at that seven point activation and it's still definitely a strategy. You know, it's still definitely viable to run three NCUs with everything that's been changed to them. So let's say you ran Selmy and, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, I can never say his name. The, Exos, Excess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, um, I don't know how to say the name. I <laughs> well, you Targaryen players listening, I think you know what I'm talking about. It gives you the block hits and if you control the bags. So if you could run both of them and him for four points each, 12 points, and just run a more elite force. And now, granted, that's probably not generally going to be the play style for Targaryens. Because uh, they're usually, I'm assuming they're going to want a lot more board presence and a lot more on the field, uh, you know, damage. But you know, you can have three, and with a lot of people now probably going to be running two, you're going to have the ability to take the combat zone, take you know, th let's say the money bag if you're fortunate enough, or the letter, and then now you're going to have Ilio to replace the maneuver zone or the uh, crown zap with another awesome effect, especially if they take the free attack from you, hit you, you could take the uh, wealth in response and then now replace one of the next three zones, depending on what you're left with, with more healing. So just, uh, you know, something to consider. Uh, three NCU, for those that really like three NCUs, it's definitely not dead. Um, it's definitely still viable. I've been running it with excess. It just, you know, you're going to have to, which uh, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot more on the field, which I think is healthy. I think it, that's how it should have always been, that if you wanted so much presence on the tactics board, you're really going to have to uh, take away from the field, where with NCU commanders and three-point NCUs, you really didn't have to sacrifice much, especially when, you know, early in the in this game where, you know, you'd run two four-pointers for eight 
points in NCUs, where someone could then run an NCU commander and two three-pointers and pay two less points and have one more NCU than you did. It just didn't seem right. Um, so I think now with the change, it's going to do nothing but, uh, you know, be healthy. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you really look at the game, even as it's played now, people are paying um, 12 points for NCUs on the regular and hitting their normal skew counts. And that's not even talking about multi-unit factions like Starks and Free Folk. Like, you see Lannisters hitting eight activations, running um, two four points and a five point, right? You'll, you'll see Varys, Walder, and uh, Cersei in a list on the regular, um, you know, at uh, 13 points of NCUs at that point. Um, so the thing about taking three four-point NCUs is, is certainly not a stretch, for people who are really thinking that it's going to make a major change. Um, and four points is still a cheaper value than a five-point unit for an activation. So depending on what style of play you're looking for, there's still going to be a lot of three NCU games being played. I don't know if it'll be the standard for every faction. I'm not afraid to say that yet. We need to see the whole board. But I don't see a dramatic change from that for a lot of play styles. Yep. And... Uh... Yeah, it'll just definitely depend on your play style and what you kind of want to field on the field and on the tactics board. So uh, next up, our last thing uh, on the list to talk about is Jorah Mormont. Uh, he is the Wandering Knight. He Before, he was not very good. He was uh, very, barely ever seen. Um, and he just it was because he just kind of died way too easy. I'm not saying that he's some powerhouse now, but I think with a lot of things going up in price, um, or I should say like point cost between the NCUs and the cheap activations with the Raiders, him at three points I think is, and his um, his buffs, he's definitely a lot more viable, especially if you only wanted to run the two NCUs at four points uh, for Targaryens. He gives you a nice one-point discount if, let's say, you really needed that point for something uh, else in your army while still giving you that activation. So with that said, he is six maneuver, four up save, and a four up morale. He has two dice hitting on threes. He has uh, three wounds, and he can get a free maneuver or treat action. Wait, is that correct? So at the start of this unit's activation, he may perform one maneuver or retreat action. I did not catch that before. Yeah, that is a new rule, and they said it is not a, gen it's a generic rule. So you may see this on um, the new Bara uh, Baratheon solo or even the Watch Marshal as sort of a, a kind of a rule to help keep the slightly more fragile three-point cavalry solos alive. Oh, that's that's actually really awesome. Uh, you know, with that said, uh, I think, you know, it'll definitely help keep him alive a lot better. If you, I mean, granted three wounds with a four up save, he's probably going to, you'll have to do all four wounds because, you know, the morale he's almost always going to pass unless you have some crazy strong modifier. Uh, you know, that will actually give him, you know, some more play, I think, um, knowing that you're not going to get bogged down and just die. Uh, but then he also has an order, uh, scout openings start of a friendly turn target one enemy within the long range until the end of the turn friendly units attacks on that enemy gain precision and may reroll any attack dice um 
This is, in my opinion, better than Mark Target. It has the same trigger, the same range. Uh, it's just you're trading, giving a vulnerable to get precision and rerolls. Because uh, as we've already mentioned, precision has definitely become better uh, in the sense that it's going to do auto wounds and get by a lot of cool abilities. And with those rerolls, um, let's say uh, sword masters hitting on twos, or no, they already have precision, so I guess that's not a, a great example. Um, so let's say, uh, I guess anything hitting on threes with rerolls, I mean, in a lot of cases, you might just reroll even your successful hits just to try to get some more sixes, depending on what your opponent has. Uh, so yeah, I think he's going to be a lot more useful, especially now that his ability is long range rather than short. Uh, he won't have to get so close to danger. Yeah, uh, but say because you mentioned that it was the same range, it's definitely better uh, in long range versus short. Um, I've been very careful not to use the term auto include uh, for anything so far, but Jorah is probably the closest thing of the current reveals to an auto include. Um, he's three points. He's the cheapest activation in the army. Um, and no matter what you do with a tabletop war game, activations are always an advantage. They always will be since we literally fought war with pikemen in the field. It'll always be a thing. Um, super flexible trigger. Uh, this works on range attacks. Um, and it's a start turn order, so it doesn't interfere with other orders or tactics cards. So being able to get precision from long range and rerolls to any attack dice means if your Targaryen cavalry keep charging volley, that's two attacks, all with rerolls, regardless of terrain with precision. Um, they're deleting something once a turn, once a round, probably every time. Um, he is super good <laughs> he is just <laughs> he's speed yep. six he gets in and out he's got three wounds so he's hard to chip out even if traps stay the same you have to hit the six panic damage is now no longer at a plus one so you have to hit the three oh, you have to hit the three on the trap either way you're just not very likely to fish him out before he's probably assisted in removing something very important to you um another thing up. to note is that uh his order is any attacks so even yeah. outriders with their nimble can move in shoot get all re-rolls with precision nimble back three inches i think yeah he is like you said i think he's almost going to be a must take i think it really is going to come down to the only difference being whether or not you want him or you want to spend one more point to have a third ncu and i I can't see any real argument to say that one is clearly better option than the other. It'll just kind of come down to play style and what NCU you're trying to argue to take over him. Yeah, like the Throcky veterans, if they stay anywhere close to the same, you know, seven dice on the shot, say it even goes to six, six on threes with precision and rerolls on the range, followed by a seven to eight dice charge because there's still a premium unit on threes is going to be insane. Yep, and you know, with rerolling attack dice from this ability, meaning you don't care if you're going over uh, um, hindering uh, nope. terrain. So, as we've kind of covered, there's a lot of abilities that are probably going to get you those rerolls. So it'll kind of counteract with uh, what we were talking about before, with the minus to hit and the worst, uh, you know, worst to hit on a lot of units. Um, so. I think re-rolls are going to be invaluable. So him and the Screamer Co. are kind of, kind of. I think they're 
Targaryens so far are going to be looking like the best faction to kind of counter all those minuses. It's a strong chance. Um, they also have access to neutrals, so you have things like Zorses, and they have a lot of cards that Cavalry just like. Um, if they keep their cards, right, like um, their uh, whatever it's called, uh, Ride By, Overrun, whatever they have. Uh, hit and Run, is it? I guess where they can charge through a unit and be on the backside. They have um, both, yeah. They have Hit and Run and... Uh, yeah. And ride by. Yeah, and, so you start taking cards like that into account. Um, them taking one unit of Zorses and then the rest of their army is just Screamers. You can have an insane, you know, horseman situation going on that is really hard to keep track of as an infantry-based army. Another thing, another thing to point out that you were just mentioning about Zorse Riders. So the Screamer Co. can't go in Zorse Riders, but Jor's ability will basically allow those Zorse Riders to get rerolls on their charge. And if you're only getting one of the abilities and you don't need to turn off an order, you're going to get rerolls with precision and crit and plus one dice. You're going to have eight dice hitting on threes with rerolls with precision crit. Uh, mm -hmm. And because of the trigger of start any friendly turn, you could just start of the Zorus's turn, you know, mark your target essentially, you know, with this ability and I think they're going to be able to put a lot of damage in on on a, a unit they charge into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think Targaryens are looking to be in a really good place with what we've seen. I think out of everything we've seen for every faction, uh, and then even those that we'll talk about on Sunday, I think Targaryens are getting some of the most like like the best stuff. Or I wouldn't say like best like if you were to put them side by side, but I'm talking their power level currently with what we're getting previewed for them compared to other factions and their power levels and compared to what they're getting revealed. I think Targaryens are looking to get the most boost out of all of this. Yeah, definitely some spicy stuff. So so that kind of wraps up everything that we've, uh, we're planning to talk about tonight and, uh, definitely check us out next, uh, or I shouldn't say next week. Technically it's still this week on Sunday. We will be talking about Lannisters, Starks and Night's Watch and everything that they've revealed up to date. Um, with the exception of anything we've already covered in past shows. Um, but with that said, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, is there any, uh, shout outs you kind of want to give? Yeah, uh, just shout out to Sunday Slaughter and Chris and them. Um, there's always more content coming out. Um, for anybody who's listened to this and is just kind of getting into the game and excited for the changes, um, you know, get in there, play some games, roll some dice. There's a lot of activity on Facebook and Discord and YouTube. And just take it all in and support your content, guys, and we'll be ready for 2021 when it fully rolls out. I agree. And uh, for anyone listening that's kind of looking at all these changes – I mean, it is a lot. It's a lot coming out, and it's coming out fast, and things kind of seem uncertain because of how many, you know, almost none of us like change, uh, you know, because change is uncertainty, you know, uh, with, especially with a game that's so awesome, and we're kind of, for the most part, comfortable where we're at. There's just some things that, you know, we all think is too good, too weak, Uh I think uh, this is definitely a step in the right direction as a whole. Uh, there's some questionable stuff, but nothing that I think is going to be so crazy game-breaking that you know it's going to make the game unplayable. I think most of the core changes they've done so far that we've seen have all been for the better. Uh, 
Um, I would say even though you don't have the full picture, kind of try testing out some of it. Um, you know, try testing out you know the do the new uh, panic changes with the D3, trying out the limit five card hands. Try running uh, no NCU commanders and uh, try running uh, everything that's been revealed. I know it doesn't give you the full picture and it might not be super accurate based on what might change and what new tactics cards and the new field commanders will be, but it'll kind of help the transition. I know it has for me. I've been playing a lot with a lot of those things I just mentioned and um, it seems like it'll seem like a lot less of a shock uh, once you start playing, once everything is finally released. So definitely give it a try. Um, and uh, just know that uh, it's definitely going to be uh, for the better once uh, we see the full picture. So, And then I'm pretty sure they're going to start revealing stuff pretty quickly, if I were to take a guess. Um, you know, because they were talking about quarter two is when all this is going to kind of be out and uh, available. I'm going to bet that because they're revealing stuff the way they are, that they're probably planning on, um, let's see, April, March, April. Yeah, so April is the first month in quarter two. I'm assuming it's probably going to be April, but that's just a guess. Uh, and with that said, we only got a couple more months away, so just try to get as much uh, testing as you guys can. A um, couple of shout-outs I want to give is, uh, of course, uh, Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Definitely go check that out and find a bunch of uh, content creators. Um, One-stop shop to, you know, find battle reports, articles, uh, podcasts, just anything and everything you can kind of think of as far as content. Um, I want to give a shout-out to all the local uh, game stores out there. For any of you that uh, are currently buying online, try to see if you can, you know, find a game store that uh, will, um, you know, ship to you. Uh, you know, in with everything going on, they could definitely use your help. Um, I know sometimes you might have to spend an extra 20 bucks between all of your purchases, but just know that it'll definitely go a lot, you know, further and mean a lot more if you uh, if you support a local business if you don't have one of your own. If you do have one and they're not open, see if uh, you can kind of order something and they can ship it to you or curbside pickup or even uh, something that I've done uh, once is, you know, just buy a gift card, see if they'll, you know, let you buy a gift card and, you know, at least uh, it gives them something to kind of hold them over until they're able to open back up. So, but with that said, everybody, thank you so much for listening in. This is a small council radio and it is dismissed.